And it is Jesus who truly makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast and a very special Mother's Day greeting to all mothers listening this morning. We at Echoes of Calvary would like to wish you all a happy Mother's Day. Today, Pastor Rob looks at Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. And in this passage, we will see three things. A good mother's mentor, a good mother's measure, and a good mother's motivation. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. It's uh, good to be in the studio today to consider the great uh, gift that mothers are to all of us and how God has, in His Word, addressed what godly mothering is to be like. I would like to take us to a New Testament passage this Mother's Day to consider the good mother's mentor, the good mother's measure, and the good mother's motivation. We find these in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And as we consider these verses, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them nearby, to Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. These verses in Titus give us, again, the good mother's mentor, the good mother's measure, and the good mother's motivation. Let's start with the first of the three, the good mother's mentor. Who does the Lord God intend to be the young mother's coach or confidant or counselor in the matters pertaining to godliness as a woman? The verses before us answer that question, and the response is, having older godly women as mentors. I see that in verses 3 and 4 again. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, etc. So from the eyes of heaven, which are the only eyes that count, A good mother has a mentor, and that mentor is an older, godly woman. Now, let's move from the good mother's mentor to the good mother's measure. What does God uh, determine to be true for a good mother in his estimation? How does God measure mothers? And how does God deem a mother to be a good mother? I believe all the mothers that are listening this morning want to be a good mother. And uh, the best way to find out how to be a good mother is to find out in the Bible what God says makes for a good mother, what's the measure of a good mother. And actually, there are seven things in these verses, believe it or not, that tell us the good measure for a good mother that God has established. And the first thing that heaven says makes you a good mother is that you love your husband. 
I see this in verse 3 through 5. Let's see the whole passage. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. So, in these verses are seven practical areas that God wants to measure you by, mom, as you are listening to me this morning, seven points of evaluation or measurements that God wants to have for you to be able to say, she's a good mom. And again, the first is that you love your husband. The second is that a good wife and mother loves her children. The Greek word here for love in the passage is philea, which describes a general kind of affection between human beings. And God wants you to have that general human affection for your children, a warm affection, a devoted affection. And that's what God would have to be his will for you. Now, moving from the first being loving of your husband, second being loving of your children, third, God measures motherhood that a good mother is sensible in her behavior and outlook. Or the NIV, the New International Version, puts it self-controlled. A good mother is a self-controlled, sensible mother. Uh, Basic to this idea is self-discipline, a consistent refusal to give in to selfish demands that we all are prone to have from time to time. God says, you're a good mother, If you live sensibly and in a self-controlled manner, not in a selfish manner. The fourth thing we see in this passage as to do with God's measure of a good mother is purity of life. God wants mothers to be pure in their thoughts, to be pure in their actions. And this kind of purity is achieved on a minute-by-minute basis on a minute-by-minute awareness of God's full observation of you as a mother and his understanding of you in your motives, in your thoughts, in your speech, and in your deeds. God says that a mother is a good mother, is the person who is aspiring, trying, working at having a pure life. The fifth aspect to God's measure of a good mother is her work or her busyness and specifically inside of her home. To read the passage again, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible pure. There it is. And then workers at home. Workers at home. God says that a good mother is busy, engaged, active, working within her home. Now, the word here is that it is a home and a house, a house that is made a home by tender feminine attention and effort. Uh, There was a young military man and his family that had to live for a time in a hotel near the military base where he was temporarily stationed. 
And one day his little daughter was playing in the lobby of the hotel when a lady who understood the situation quite untactfully commented to her, isn't it a shame you don't have a home? Without hesitating, the little girl responded, oh, we do. We just don't have a house to put it in yet. Ladies, moms, you can make any place a home, and it takes an effort to work with diligence within that house home to the honor and glory of God. But there's more. The measure of a a good mother has to do with kindness. God wants kindness in mothers. Kindness is really goodness in action. Kindness is goodness with its work clothes on. Kindness bends down to smell a flower in a child's outstretched hand. Kindness waits patiently in the long grocery checkout line and then speaks a word of encouragement to the weary cashier. Kindness sends and delivers that greeting card. Kindness visits the discouraged and the forgotten. Kindness wipes up the tears before it wipes up the spilt milk. God wants good mothers who in his strength are kind. Seventh and last, at least in this passage in Titus 2, is that God's measure of a good mother is in her obedience to her husband. Her obedience to her husband. Verse 5 puts it to be subject to their own husband. Now, I'm the first to understand (laughs) that this is not a popular notion in many uh, places today, feminism and such, that it's not a very popular notion, it seems, that, uh, that a wife ought to be obedient to her husband, that a, a wife ought to be subject to her own husband. But popularity or acceptance in a society is not necessarily what makes something right or wrong. A wife's calling, according to God, is to have a willing obedience to her own husband. This is clearly taught in Scripture in more than one place. And the verb here in this uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 5, the verb here, which is translated to be subject, was used originally in a military context to convey voluntary, respectful, and complete obedience uh, despite the immediate result. This is biblical subjection. This is biblical obedience. And it's not to be inferior. It's not to be less valuable. It's not to say you're less intelligent than your husband. It's none of that. It's saying that the home needs order, and God says the order of it is that wives are to be subject to their husbands. So the home is functioning well. Husbands, we have a high calling on us that we treat our wives only with love, only with consideration and reasonability. And so, ladies... As your husband, in a godly manner, serves you and leads you by serving you, then you are expected of God to submit and to obey to the best of your ability for the good of your marriage and for the good of your children. So, to review, what is to be the mentor of a good mother? An older godly mother. And what is to be the measure of a good mother? Devotion and love for her husband and for her children, self-control, purity of life, busyness at homemaking, kindnesses demonstrated, and a respectful obedience to one's husband. Now, 
The third point here, after mentor and measure, what is the good mother's motivation? What is the good mother's motivation? Verse 5 of Titus 2 tells us, To be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, watch it, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Just think of it, mom, that as you receive the mentorship of a godly older mother, and as you respond in your character and behavior to the seven factors that we've addressed earlier in this message, that something good happens. Very good, as a matter of fact. The word of God is not dishonored. Do you know what that means? That if a mother refuses older women mentoring her, and if she refuses to be devoted in love to her husband and her children, if she refuses to live self-controlled, if she's impure of life, if she's negligent in her homemaking, if she's an unkind woman, if she is disrespectful and not in line with her husband, then it would dishonor the word of God. Think of that. You would never want to dishonor the word of God, moms. I know that. And so God says, you don't want to dishonor my word? Then accept mentorship and live according to the measurements of being a good mother that I have for you in my word. And ladies who are moms, I honor you this Mother's Day. I thank God for you. And I pray that you will continue to walk in obedience to the word of God as a blessing to your husbands and as a blessing to your children. But ladies, here's the thing. As a lady demonstrates devoted love for her husband and her children, and as a lady demonstrates self-control and purity and diligence in homemaking, in various kindnesses and consistent obedience to her husband— then the gospel message will not be subject to contempt and hatred and mocking by those who evaluate it, sometimes unnoticed from afar. Really, the truth of 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2 lines right up with what I'm teaching. And 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, In the same way, You wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Mothers, I salute you. Thank the Lord for you. I wish you a blessed, encouraging, enriched Mother's Day. Let me pray for you. Lord God, thank you for the mothers who are listening today. Thank you for gifting them with children. Lord, I pray that the younger mothers would accept the mentoring of older women and that the older mothers would realize the role they are to have in the younger mothers' lives. I pray, Lord, that all the mothers would love their husbands, love their children, live sensibly, purely, work at home. I pray they be kind, subject to their own husbands, because, oh God, when this happens, the word of God will not be dishonored in the Bahamas. 
Lord, bless my sisters in Christ this day, this Mother's Day. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name together. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I am so glad that you are listening again. And um, it's so great to, for you to listen to another edition of Youth Talk. And I want to just wish all the mothers out there a happy Mother's Day. Again, as I you know, think about a mother, you know, there are many people who can be call, considered mothers, but there are only a few that are called mom. Because a mom is the one that sets the tone in a home. A mom is a person, someone that holds a family together. And I just want to thank you mothers for all that you do for us as children. And even for me, as I think of my wife, what she does for my daughter, I want to just thank her for that. And I just want this morning, as we um, consider, uh, we have been looking at for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about running a race as the Christian life. And this morning, I want to just talk about the con- pick up for a concept that we talked about last week in Hebrews 12, chapter 1 to 2, that basically talks to us about we need to give up things as we consider running the race. There are weights in our lives that is called sin. And this morning, I want to look at Colossians chapter 3 and just consider some things that as Paul talks about us coming to know Christ, and as Paul talks about us, as we talked about in um, Hebrews chapter 12, as we look at Christ and we set our minds on Him and that we look at Jesus and He is the finish line and He is who we are striving to be like. I want us to understand that Paul talks about this as well, but he talks us to another concept as we need to take off and put to death some things. But he doesn't stop there. He tells us that we need to put on some things. And it starts in Colossians chapter 3. If, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Chapter 3, verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Again, the concept is set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Because we know that the things on earth are going to pass away. They're going to fade away. No matter however well we maintain something, it's going to, get, you know, it's going to fade away. You know, think of a car. Uh, men like to take care of cars. They like to do all the accessory work, clean it every week, and, you know, do all these different things. But the reality is that car is not going to last forever. They're going to want a new car. They're going to need a new car because something's going to happen to it. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul doesn't stop there. And he says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So he's saying, that, look, you need to not just try to, you know, stop feeding this thing, but you need to put to death. And it says it's sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, we need to understand, as Paul is saying, that we, these are things in our lives as an adult, as a young person, that we need to put to death. When we consider putting to death, it means that we just cut it off. Sexually immorality. Sexual immorality. Again, this is a problem that we have in our society where we, we hear and we, and we have so much access to you know, pornography and different things as we think of, um, even through social media and we think of our computers, it's so easy for us to fall in the trap of sexual immorality. Again, as verse 7 talks about, it says, this, In these two you once walk, when you were living in them. 
again, is a contrast here of when we consider ourselves as, as before we knew Christ, this is how we used to walk. This is the race that we used to run. We used to run a race that was worldly. But he is saying now, look, this is the way you used to run. Now I want you to change. Again, he, st- he lists some other things for us in verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You know, think about that for a second. Are these things in your life that you continue on pursuing, that continue on taking part in? Are you an angry person? Are you a person that slanders and gossips? Are you a person that curses and uses bad language? Um, And I think sometimes we need to understand that even when we consider obscene talk, it's not just curse words that we may consider. It's how we talk to people. Do we build people up or do we put them down? You know, Ephesians 4.29 talks about, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I think that we need to understand that our speech is something that is very deadly. You know, previously I remember talking on, on a program talking about the tongue and how the tongue is such a deadly weapon. It's the worst weapon that anyone could have because most of the time when we think of, of incidences that even in our um, newspapers, a lot of it started with the tongue. People saying something to somebody that, that rubs them the wrong way. Again, we need to understand that we need to put to death, we need to put away these things. You know, slander. When we, we take someone's name and, and, and we slander it and we, you know, tell false things, accusations against them that we don't have the facts, we don't know about them. In fact, what we need to do is we need to go to that person and talk to them if we have heard something. But yet what we do is we get in our corners and we just gossip and we just talk about people without finding the facts. Verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Again, consider that. I want you to think of your life before you knew Christ. And I want you to think of your life now. Do you see any difference? Do you see any change? Do you see anything that... um, would God be pleased with you now? And does God see it, a difference in you? Or would someone say that you're no different than you were before you knew Christ as your Savior? Again, I think we need to understand that Paul is making it very clear that it has to be a change in our lives. Paul makes it very clear that we need to understand that, you know, if we say we know Christ, we are a new creature, a new creation. All old things have passed away and all things have become new in Christ. Verse 10 says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And this week, I want to just stop there because we don't have the time to to go into what we need to put on. And I will pick up on this next week as we consider to put on the different things as Christ is telling us that we need to take off what we have talked about this morning as we think of anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, and put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness which is adultery. We need to understand this is stuff that we need to take off. And I love how Paul is going to put it as we consider next week. He doesn't say just take off something and leave it, but he wants us to understand that we need to put on. I just want to pause right in. I just want to um, just, you know, invite you, if you're listening to this program, uh, a young person or, or adult, if you're listening, to let you know here at Calvary Bible Church, we have a youth group called Ignition every Friday night. And we, we start at 7 and we end at 9.30, as well as we have an Awana program that starts from 6 to, o'clock to 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights. 
And we will be closing at the end of May. But, you know, this is just an opportunity for you to know what's happening here at Calvary Bible Church and to um, allow your kids to plug into our ministry. As well as, don't forget, we have Sunday school every Sunday morning at 930, as well as junior church at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. We want to just thank you for listening to this broadcast. And also, I would like to put it out there. If you have anything that you would like to us to talk about, you know, please send in um, an email to us at eocradio at gmail.com. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. I have a question from the Gospel of John, chapter 18 and verse 36, which reads, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Here's the question. When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, was he denying the existence of a future earthly kingdom? In response to Pilate's question, Jesus admitted he has a kingdom, but not as the world commonly understands kingdoms. Jesus' kingdom is a different sort of kingdom than Pilate would be thinking of. The words not of this world mean that Jesus' kingdom does not take its origin or draw its power from the unbelieving world. Although Jesus' kingdom will eventually involve an earthly domain, it will not depend on people for its establishment and support. Jesus never denied the fact that he had the right to a future earthly kingdom. See 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 to 16. See also Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 through 6. The point of his response to Pilate was that his kingdom would involve the exercise of heavenly rather than earthly power and dominion. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us at these times. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. <laughs>